You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's time. Time for silver and black today. To the ground game. Touchdown, Las Vegas! We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field and bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get get it it on. Here's your host, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. Welcome back. It is time. Silver and Black today, the Tuesday edition. Hopefully you took Monday to breathe a little bit. And realize the world is not coming to an end. I swear it's not, Raider Nation. Things will be okay. Scott Colbranson, Mo Moten with you. Uh, the hosts of this show, we appreciate your support. Please subscribe if you're listening to us on the audio feed. You're already there, and we appreciate that. Uh, wherever you get your audio, Apple or Spotify, wherever you like to listen to us, uh, we appreciate the support. And if you're watching us on YouTube and in taking part in the chat, which is always lively. Mo and I are always in there mixing it up with you guys, having some fun, and we appreciate that. Hit the notification buttons as well as the subscribe button. That way, you know, every time there's a new video, your phone or wherever you are will tell you that Mo and I are gracing your screens, and we certainly appreciate that. Mo is the national NFL writer for Bleacher Report. By the way, that is why he's not on the post-game shows on Sunday. It's not because he doesn't want to be here or because he isn't my co-host. It's because he is slammed for like 16 hours on Sundays with his Bleacher Report duties. So he is back here on a Tuesday. This is where we break down the game a little more in depth with him, get his thoughts, and then talk about the subjects at hand that you all are talking about. Mo, uh, you picked the Chargers in this game. You were absolutely right. It was a close game in the end. It appeared early that maybe the Chargers could run away with it. Raiders kept it close. And as many fans have said over the last couple days as this has sunk in, they still had a chance to win this game, even though uh, there were some some warts on the face, if you will. Uh, So tell us about your initial action. You went and you watched the game late Sunday night after you were done writing for 16 hours. Um, What did you think? What stuck out for you in this loss to the Chargers? I find it interesting that if you get online and that's probably the worst thing you can do after a loss <laughs> is people are talking about Derek Carr as if he's Drew Locke. And I tweeted on Monday afternoon that 
Derek Carr hasn't has had three three interception games in his career. So three games out of 128, he's thrown three interceptions in a single game. Terrible. So for the people, so for the people who bought Derek Carr's <laughs> stock in the offseason and are selling it right now, you might want to hold off on that because this isn't the norm for him. Mm-hmm. I expect him, this is probably going to be the worst, one of the worst games of, of his season, of his 2022 season. And I think he'll bounce back against the Cardinals. So I will pump the brakes on that. The other thing that stood out to me was I feel like, and I know hindsight is always 2020, but I feel like Josh McDaniels should have played Derek Carr and some more of the starters on that offense simply because when you have a new regime coming in, a new coaching staff coming in, installing a new system, I know practices and joint practices matter, but I think when you're installing, you need to have some game action, at least a couple mm. of series, maybe three series, and at least one game. Because, and I'm not saying Derek Carr was off because he didn't play in the preseason, because there are plenty of other quarterbacks who didn't play in the preseason and looked sharp in week one. So maybe Derek Carr is one of those guys that needs a couple of series or three or four during the preseason, especially in a new system before he gets out there for week one. But with him in that O line, a lot of people are saying, well, the O-line was bad. Derek Carr had a bad game. Two things can be true. Derek Carr can, could have had a bad game, which he did. And the O-line wasn't great. I mean, it wasn't terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it could have been a lot worse considering who they were going up against with Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack on the other side. But I feel like Derek Carr, for the most part, especially early in the game, he had enough time to deliver some accurate passes, and he just didn't do that. That's correct. And by the way, we are, because everybody out there is going to say, why aren't you talking about the offensive line? We've been talking about it for so long. I wish it was awesome so we didn't have to talk about it. But we will talk about it in segment number two. And in segment number three, we're going to talk about the coaching staff. Some of the, what we saw there when Josh McDaniel's first game, Mo just mentioned a little bit with the preseason and maybe uh, questioning whether or not uh, the starters could have gotten a series or two, at least in one of the games. They had an extra preseason game, remember? So by the time they got to the final one, perhaps they could have let those guys play a little bit. I've been in the camp of, no, it doesn't really matter. So I'll be interested to hear your point uh, in depth on that, Mo. But we'll stick with Derek Carr right now. I know a lot of people are talking about it. Those that dislike Derek Carr, the Carr haters, as they're called. I'm not calling you haters. I'm just saying that's what the community calls you. Um, Again, I told you so is their basic underlying message for car folks who are very supportive of Derek Carr. And I mean, very supportive in that they really don't feel like he can do anything wrong. uh, They are defending him and giving him excuses. I don't think there's excuses here. And you just said it, Mo. Two things can be correct. One, Derek Carr had a really bad game. It's plain and simple. It is. And if you don't think he did, and you want to blame it on the offensive line, and you want to blame it on a new system, I think you're off base. Does that contribute? Absolutely it does. But he is a veteran quarterback with all of, as you guys all say, as we've said here on the show, with all the tools he needs. Okay? So he had it there. And yes, there were some issues with the offensive line. But I want to start with that because Derek Carr, 22 of 37, 295 yards, two touchdowns, three picks, two fumbles. Two fumbles that were recovered by the Raiders, thank goodness for them. Uh, But at the same time, you're talking about five turnovers, sort of. Three turnovers completely, and uh, ball protection was, again, an issue for Derek Carr. And to your point, three interceptions, he hasn't had that very much in his career. It's an anomaly, okay? It's an anomaly. He doesn't throw a ton of picks like that uh, in a game, and so we saw it on Sunday in Los Angeles. Now, Mo, with this particularly, I'm going to give you my concern with it, and it's a little bit different than what I've been hearing folks talk about. 
So all of this, having a bad game, again, it's not indicative of how his season moved. I have not moved on my position that I believe he will have an excellent season. But what bothered me about it more than anything was this was the first game of the season. Expectations were high. Uh, he was fresh. Everything was good to go. Devontae Adams had a massive day, clearly. But it bothers me that a veteran quarterback comes out that flat in an opening game, right? That is troubling to me just because I don't know where his headspace was. Uh, I'm not blaming it. I don't know. I'm not Derek Carr. I'm not going to sit here and subscribe why he had a bad game. He said in the postgame press conference it was because he was being too aggressive. He was trying too hard. But why would you? A nine-year veteran, you should be calm. You should be collected. You have the ball to distribute to so many guys. And to me, that's what bothered me about it. Uh, and we'll get into some of the technical details of what went wrong. But do you get my point there? Is that is there something there or is that it, it, it bothers me that a quarterback of that caliber came out like that? Yeah, I get your point on that. The only thing here is you have to weigh the human element. So remember, mm. the Raiders brought in Derek Carr's good friend, Devontae Adams. And I think he wanted to show off that connection with Devontae Adams. Ah. Devontae. Devontae had 17 targets. And I tweeted this after the game. If you're going to throw to someone that many times, you're making it easier for defenders to make a play on the ball because more times than not, they're going to cheat on, on their assignments because they know where you're going with the football. You're going to Devontae Adams. So you saw a lot of him throwing into double, triple coverage. And there's a reason for that because the defenders knew, okay, he's probably going to go to Devontae. Let me lean over this way. Let me lean over that way. The other thing is a lot of people are brought up, well, Derek Carr did this last year with Darren Waller. Where he had a bunch of targets that didn't go to anyone else. The difference here is I can understand him doing that against the Ravens in the season opener last year because he had some young wide receivers and Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards that he didn't trust yet. Correct. In this case, he's been playing with Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro for three years. So there was no reason for him to not trust those two guys over Devontae Adams because he has a rapport with those guys already, unlike he had with Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs. So it goes back to my point about the human element. I think he just wanted to show off his connection with Devonte Adams, and it just goes into his head like I, I'm going to go to my guy, and we're going to write and we're going to win this game. And it didn't work out that way because these defenders and these defensive coordinators are smart, and they again they can clue in where you're going with the football, and it factored into his interceptions, and that's what happened on Sunday for me. Good point. I mean, you look at Devonte Adams with just an amazing day, and it just goes to show that he's the best wide out in the game, I believe, and. He had three times as many receptions as the next player. Okay, almost three times, a little less. But still, to your point. Now, in certain games, we know in the flow of a game, depending on a defensive pl game plan of, of an opposing team, that sometimes you have to go to a guy a little more than you would. You don't distribute the ball because of something that's happening defensively. Or somebody has a hot hand and they continue to be open uh, and there's always opportunities, so you feed them. And I understand that. But you're right here because Hunter Renfro didn't get a target till the middle of the third quarter, okay? And people mm -hmm. caught on to that quickly. And so so you're right. I think it probably was the human element. And, again, that goes back to, okay, you're coming out in the opening game on the road against an AFC West foe. You got to use – you can't pedal with one foot, so to speak. You got to pedal with both feet. You got to use everything at your disposal. And in watching the game film after – uh, and doing it on, on Monday morning as I did, I saw several times where he went to Devontae Adams, made a completion. So, hey, it's, it's a net positive, no question. 
But you look, you look in the background, you see Darren Waller eight yards downfield wide open, right? Or at least open enough that he would have gotten a pass and you would have had a, a net larger gain out of it. You saw Hunter Renfro, the same thing. And even sometimes the running back coming out of the backfield, uh, different guys, you, you had opportunities there. So it can be true that Derek Carr had a bad game. And I don't want to hear people blaming the offensive line. Was he under pressure? Yes, we know the number of sacks. That's not good either. And Josh McDaniels on the Monday press conference said something that really bothered me. It's the first time I've been irritated with the coach. And we'll talk about that in segment three. But uh, you have to be able to uh, not only continue to have that rhythm with all of your receivers, uh, but you need to do that for your team. And I think this game was lost because of a team loss. But Derek Carr certainly shoulders a lot of the responsibility. He took it, which is never good enough because people are tired of Derek Carr taking responsibility. But at the same time, in this case, I think it's genuine. I think he meant it. And I think you should just accept it. Yeah, and I think he understands what he did wrong. What annoyed me after the game is that after Derek Carr's presser, he basically told everyone, look, as you said, I, you know, I was too aggressive. You know, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but pushing the ball downfield when he could have took other targets, other areas of the field and got an open receiver, as you said. So he basically is telling you, I should have taken what the defense gave me at certain points. Now, I will say that if Derek Carr turned in the check down car, people will have a problem with that. <laughs> so it's it's damn if you do, damn if you don't with, with Derek Carr. So I'd rather an aggressive Derek Carr who's pushing the ball downfield than a scared Derek Carr who's throwing five-yard outs because then people will say, well, he's got all these weapons. Why isn't he pushing the ball downfield? It's hard being the quarterback in the NFL. You have yes. to know balance. When to push the ball, when to take when the defense gives you. He didn't have that balance on Sunday. He sure didn't. And you talked about being aggressive. And I agree. Look, if you make a, a mistake being aggressive, I'm usually, and I think fans should be, uh, okay with that. The issue was uh, throwing the balls that he threw, to me, not only was he, if he went into pressure, a defensive back makes a nice play, they go up for a jump ball and somebody grabs it. Okay, it happens, right? It happens to Tom Brady. It happens to all the great quarterbacks in the NFL. With Derek Carr, he seemed to be underthrowing the ball. It seemed to have a lack of zip, whereas last year, for example, I saw him step into his throws and make those throws, not all completions, by the way. I'm not talking about just the ones he completed, but even those that were incomplete, and they seemed to have a little more zing. Is that mental, too? Um, because the physical side of it, I've, I've not seen Derek Carr have any issues physically throwing the ball, but it certainly seemed like he was doing much more of a trying to maybe pinpoint the ball more and in so took some zip off it. Some of that is body mechanics, and a lot of coaches and scouts will tell you quarterback has to step up into a throw before he delivers it. And if you don't step up into the throw, the ball can be flat. Uh, interesting note, Derek Carr threw an interception to his all three of his top pass catchers. The first one, yes. I believe, uh, underthrown to Waller. The second one, underthrown to uh, another one, underthrown to Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams actually put his hand up to you know get the ball, and Derek Carr threw it to him. Didn't have enough zip on it. The one to Hunter Renfro wasn't underthrown. I think he, I don't think he placed it well. I think he needed to place it further outside where only his receiver can get it. So that's why Bryce Callahan was able to jump the route and get the interception on that one. So I think the la the other one, Tonto Renfro, was just basically bad ball placement. Uh, maybe he could have gone elsewhere with the football, but if you're going to go there, you have to place it where only your receiver can get it. No doubt. Uh, and and 
And that's the thing, Mo. I think that you, you look at the situation and, okay, so Derek Carr had a bad game. Uh, I saw a lot of people, and I'm not joking and I'm not trying to be funny, basically calling the season already over. Now, if you're a Cowboys fan, you have more of an argument there. But I think with this Raiders team, you saw flashes. I, I was encouraged, uh, I thought, most of all with the play calling. There were some a couple, there were a couple doozies I couldn't understand, like the reverse uh, that was going to be a pass from Devontae Adams when your line is struggling and you do a really slow developing play. Kelly Kreiner pointed it out on Twitter, and I agree with that one. There were some other issues. But overall, I, I was buoyed by the fact that this offense, especially early, I mean, you saw what it can do when it's moving the ball and when it's doing uh, what it needs to do. But we saw a lack of the ability to establish the run. Josh Jacobs did really well, but they didn't feed him. It stopped. The offensive line maybe wasn't getting enough uh, push there. We saw a lot of runs that didn't get very much gain from the line of scrimmage. Um, and to me, that was concerning because you said it. Last week, as we previewed this game with Nick Cothrell from Sports Illustrated, who covers the Chargers, that they needed to establish that running game to sort of set this game up well and to keep the ball, keep possession, keep the ball away from Justin Herbert, and they just weren't able to do that. Right, and the Raiders were pretty much in this game for most of the contest. So Josh Jacobs running, I believe, for 5.7 yards per carry. I believe he had 10 rushes for 57 yards. Uh they didn't they could have they could have had more balance with the offense but again i think with Derek carr and, and Devonte adams that connection i believe that kind of took over the game to the point where yeah Devonte adams numbers look great and, and the connection is obviously on point but you got to get other people involved you got to get other weapons involved i mean you saw justin herbert throw to guys like deandre carter when keenan allen went down uh, uh, I believe they had a, an undrafted tight end, Hor Horfrath or whatever his name is. Sorry if I'm pronouncing <laughs> his name. I apologize, but basically an unknown tight end scoring a touchdown there. So you saw Justin Herbert spreading the ball around. Of course, he had – and Mike Williams didn't even have a good game. Mike Williams got locked down by the Raiders' defense for a consecutive game. He didn't have a good game last time they played in Week 18. Got shut down again. So – you see Herbert spreading the ball around. You see Carr giving the ball to Devontae Adams, and you see the stark difference in the result is, yes, this guy can have great numbers, but you got to get other people involved. you got to force the defense to defend you in different ways. Be less predictable because it pays off in the end. Absolutely. Okay, we are going to step aside for our first break here on the Tuesday edition of Silver and Black. Today, when we return, we'll talk a little bit about that offensive line. We'll talk about also a move the Raiders made because guess what? The injury bug is already here for Las Vegas. Uh, hopefully not for too long and hopefully not too serious, but we'll talk about that as well. You're listening to Silver and Black today with Mo Moten, Scott Branson. We'll be back right after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back as Silver and Black today, the Tuesday edition rolls on here. Thank you so much for listening to our Odyssey original podcast. Mo Moten, Scott Branson with you here talking Raiders football, talking about the 24 to 19 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers on Sunday. We've put the Derek Carr issue to bed. We talked enough about that. Now let's talk about all the other things that we've seen. But before we get into that, some news over the last day or so, clearly on Monday as things settle down from the weekend's crazy action in the NFL. And I'll ask you about that in a minute, Mo, since you cover the entire league. But with the Raiders, unfortunately, injuries, we found out Monday, Trayvon Morig has been downgraded to out for next week. Denzel Perriman with an ankle has been ruled questionable. Brandon Bolden hamstring has been ruled out as well. So the Raiders lose two players. Uh, we have at the time of the recording, uh, Nikel Roby Coleman, a cornerback, veteran cornerback is expected to sign. That's from our friend Vinci, uh, Vin, Vinci, Vinny Bonsignor at the Las Vegas Returnal. He's saying it's not official, uh, but that uh, the signing is, is imminent. Also reported, uh, ran, or excuse me, all over the web and through good sources, uh, the Raiders have claimed former Jets and Cardinals quarterback, cornerback, Javelin Guidry. He ran a 4-2-9 in the combine. He's got some wheels on him uh, as well. And Mo's got some experience with him since he's in New York uh, from the Jets. So we'll get that in a little bit. But Mo, we saw the injuries already hit, especially that defensive backfield. Morg's a huge loss. Uh, Brandon Bolden on the offense as well, as we know what his role was. He was highlighted quite a bit on Sunday against the Chargers. Um, clearly, they've gone out to get these two quarterbacks. Uh, Nikel Roby Coleman, a good little signing, I think, for them, especially with the injury and with some of the question marks they still have at the position. Yeah, it's kind of a downer to see that Anthony Averett's going to miss some time because if you've been watching the yes. show for any length of, of time over the summer, you know, I'm a big Anthony Averett guy, and I thought he would have a chance to really show out again in a prominent role. So you're kind of, you're kind of going thin at, in, in your cornerback room. And that was one of my worries coming into the season that trading Trayvon Mullen, I know he didn't play in that Cardinals game, so he wouldn't have mattered anyway. Uh, and then letting go Darius Phillips kind of thin at cornerback. Now you lose Anthony Averett. Now you there, as you mentioned, bringing in uh Gidry, who played for the Jets, so I'm, I'm familiar with him. Um, it's not going to be a signing that changes everything in the secondary, but he has some inside-outside versatility. He's got some speed. So my guess is that's why they were interested in him, because of his versatility he can move inside and outside as Hobbs moves inside and outside. Uh, Nikel Roby Coleman, a few years, few years ago, probably one of the better slot cornerbacks in the league. Uh, played with Detroit, I believe, last year or recently. So we'll, maybe they'll see what he's got in a workout, and if it looks good, then they'll sign him, as Benny Bonsignor said of the Las Vegas Review Journal. But now I'm not I'm not worried about the cornerback position because Hobbs looked like a complete star out there on Sunday. Rocky Hassan showed out pretty well. So as long as those guys are main solid, they should be fine, uh, as long as they bring in a decent third guy. But, you know, they're going against the Cardinals on Sunday who don't have DeAndre Hopkins. Marquise Brown, of course, has a connection with Kyler Murray. A.J. Green is completely washed. Side yeah. note, I picked him up at Fantasy, and he did nothing for me. He is washed. No separation at all. Oh. So the Raiders should be fine. 
I'll wait to glow on fantasy till Thursday. <laughs> but the, the Raiders should be fine against the Cardinals, especially since they're not going to have DeAndre Hopkins. All you're really worried about is making sure Marcus Marquise Brown doesn't go off for a bunch of yards and you keep uh, Zach Ertz under wraps at tight end. Other than that, uh, maybe Rondell Moore plays. Maybe he doesn't. He's got a hamstring, didn't play in the first week. But I think the Raiders' corner should be fine. Bring in the guys they brought in as patchwork. Should be okay for now. We'll see how it works out. But again... But Nate Hobbs on the outside and Rocky Hudson showing well, very good signs for the back end of that defense. And even though he wasn't in for a ton of snaps, uh, when Amik Robertson played, he played. And he played okay. He played well. So so obviously the coaching staff felt that uh, he was worthy of going in there and playing, and I thought he did well. He, was, he didn't give up any pass receptions. Nothing was thrown his way per se, but he did have some nice coverage a couple times. Um Mo, let's dive now in. Oh, by the way, the Raiders have not signed any offensive linemen as of the recording of this show Tuesday morning. So we'll see if they change that. But we're going to talk about that in the next segment as we talk about Josh McDaniels and some of his comments both Sunday and Monday. Uh, Mo, the defense, Patrick Graham's defense. Let me give you my impression early in the game. I thought the Raiders came out and really were slow. I thought they looked a couple steps behind, a little uncertain of where they should be, and they just didn't have what I I refer to as that juice, right? You saw the Chargers defense swarming early, even though the Raiders had early success. That Chargers defense, by the way, I believe, again, even though Nick downplayed it last Thursday's show, uh, the Chargers wanted that game because of what happened in Week 18. And it showed, especially early on, the emotion and kind of the, 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 the players flying around the ball. It was just two steps above what the Raiders were doing. It just was. But as the Raiders' defense settled in, especially in that second half where they were having trouble and the offense wasn't able to score until later, uh, they did a great job in the second half. I thought they really came alive. One thing that we talked about with Murph and Evan on the postgame show on Sunday was – Patrick Graham seemed to not really do much. He talked about all these different rotations and all these different looks that he was going to do. I didn't see a lot of that in the first half. I saw some more in the second half. Overall, how should Raider fans feel about that defense and how they performed in Los Angeles on Sunday? Overall, I think the Raiders fans should feel good about the way the defense performed. Now, you mentioned slow start for the defense, picked it up in the second half. I think part of that is because you're bringing in a new, a new defensive coordinator, a new system. So you don't want to throw too much out at the players all at once. You want to make sure they get the basics and the fundamentals of your system down before you start throwing extra wrinkles. So I would be patient. I know I think Evan Grote mentioned that. It was a little too vanilla for him. Mm -hmm. uh, not a shot at Evan at all, but just be a little patient because when you're bringing <laughs> a new system, you got to make sure they get the, the fundamentals down before you start you know, getting a little too creative because that was the issue with Paul Gunther is that he was throwing too much at the players at one time. Uh, the other thing is you with the Chargers defense, you also have to remember a lot of their core players were either there last year or pretty much know the system. So they bring in a Sebastian Joseph Day, who I mentioned to Nick on our last week's show. He's played under Brandon Stokely with the Los Angeles Rams. Bryce Callahan played in Vic Fangio's system Brandon, Brandon Staley comes from the Vic Fangio coaching tree. So he knew he knew the system. Mm -hmm. So there was some familiarity there and why the Chargers were maybe flying around the ball a little earlier than the Raiders defenses because they were comfortable with the system versus the Raiders had to feel themselves out a little bit. And, of course, you're playing against a top-tier quarterback in Justin Herbert. So give the Chargers credit as well. 
But overall, again, I would feel encouraged by the way the Raiders defense played with all the mistakes that offense made, giving the ball back to the Chargers three times on three turnovers. The Raiders still have the charge to 24 points instead of a chance to win the game late. So with that overall look, the big picture look, I, I would feel encouraged by that. Yeah, I was too. The, the linebacker play was good. D- Divine Diablo played well, especially early on. He had some really nice hits and actually hit hard the entire game. And and it was noticed uh, on my end. Uh, so yeah, encouraged by that. The one thing though, I'm going to channel a little bit of, of, of the man himself, Al Davis. The quarterback must go down and he must go down hard. The Raiders had no pass rush again. Now, I shouldn't say that. Max Crosby got in there a few Max times and, and had a great game. He was the highest rated, obviously, on that Raiders defense in the game. And that's what you expect. The guy is a tremendous player, and he did what he could do, but could not get home, could not sack the quarterback. Chandler Jones, a lot of people making that and already calling it a bust pick. Again, it's only one week, folks. Uh, I think he'll be fine. He did do more in the run, actually, than he did in the passing game. And then up front, Bilal Nichols, the guy we've talked a lot about during the summer, had an early start that I thought was great. He had a couple huge stops at the beginning and then kind of tailed off, and we didn't see much from the middle of that uh, defensive front. Mo, uh, I'm still concerned with it because we don't see that push up the middle that you need. They did do some good things against the run, but overall, that pass rush, that's got to pick up the pace even in week two with Kyler Murray. I believe we had an emailer bring it up. Mm-hmm. I know he, he and he said, I know we have Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, but who's going to bring pressure off the middle with consistency? And we didn't see that too much yesterday. I know Billings had a decent game. I know Bilal Nichols, as you said, flash. But to me, I, I as like you, I think they still need a stronger push up the middle a guy named Dominic and Sue still available. I know he was uh, oh, campaigning guy. to be the next head coach for Nebraska at the Nebraska let go of Scott <laughs> Frost, but and Dominic and Sue could still play football. And I think if the Raiders really want to upgrade their interior pass rush, they should give him a call. But one thing I will say about the whole Chandler Jones thing, and people are going to say, "Well, he's washed. He didn't get a he didn't get a good enough pass rush." As you say, he had a couple of good plays. Almost got Austin Eckler in, uh, in the end zone for a safety, tripped him up there, but. Give credit to the other team. Rashawn Slater's a really good offensive lineman. That's who he was going against for most of the game. He's a Pro Bowl rookie. Give credit to the young buck. He he handled Chandler Jones pretty well when it came to the pass rush. He did. And oh, by the way, we we heard too some and listen, Cold Miller did not have his best game either. But remember who he was playing against. Again, you know, a lot of offensive linemen will talk about this in interviews around the NFL, and that is Look, uh, we don't stop everybody. And when you're going against probably somebody who end up being a Hall of Famer, uh, it's not easy. And guess what? They're going to win some of those battles. These are these are athletes at the top of their game in the prime of their career, and they're going to win some of those battles. And so we saw that even on the Raiders' better left side. Uh, and and you talked about Chandler Jones, some, some Raider fans saying that he's washed. I remember a lot of Raider fans, and you guys were tweeting at me on Sunday that you never said this, and it's BS – a lot of you said Khalil Mack was washed, and I believe he had three sacks. So, again, I'm not making more out of it. And then I had one guy come back and say, well, yeah, he always starts strong in the first couple games. <laughs> no, that's not – you don't get to revise your your criticisms. But nonetheless, uh, you, it's, it's, it's a situation where sometimes you're going against a good team. And I know I get it from a fan perspective. The Chargers – for you are a joke. They don't have any rings, the whole deal. And I get that, but they have some talent. All NFL teams do. 
and you saw that talent going head on head, and sometimes they won, sometimes they didn't. So uh, we have to see that. All right. We're going to take our second break. When we come back, we're going to dive into a little bit about the offensive line and how that has to deal with the coach, Josh McDaniels, and what he said over the last couple days uh, as well. And we'll look ahead a little bit to the Cardinals. On Thursday's show, we will get into the the Cardinals, and uh, we'll have a guest on to talk about that as well so we can get to know them a little bit. And then we'll have more information about the, the roster at that point and some of these injuries, hopefully, they're able to get some of these guys healthy in time for that. All right, we'll step aside. When we come back, it's Silver and Black today rolling on just for you, Raider Nation. We'll talk to you in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We all know baseball is a long season. I'm Brett Boone from the Brett Boone Podcast. This summer, take a trip down memory lane with me and hear from the legends of the game. So far this year, I've had conversations with Randy Johnson, Pete Rose, Deion Sanders. Plus, every week we look at the state of Major League Baseball, which teams are exceeding expectations, which ones are struggling to meet them. Follow and listen to the Brett Boone Podcast on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Silver and Black today, the Tuesday edition. Thanks for being with us, Raider Nation. We appreciate it. Mo Moten, Scott Colbranson with you talking all things Raiders football, still digesting and breaking down the Raiders' week one loss to the Los Angeles Chargers. It's not the end of the world. This team will rebound. I actually believe that. And uh, so does Mo, I know. And we're going to get into that here in a second. Mo, let's dive into the offensive line. There was a lot of uh, concern with the offensive line the entire offseason. Uh, in fact, the other day when we did our special show on the uh, Darren Waller contract on Saturday, you brought up the point that, listen, the Raiders have gone out. They've signed a lot of their core young talent to long-term deals. They've spent the dough to keep those guys in place, but yet they didn't address one of the biggest weaknesses on their team, and that was the offensive line. So yesterday... Josh McDaniels, excuse me, on Sunday, Josh McDaniels uh, decided that he was going to rotate at right guard and right tackle, in essence, four players, correct? I might, there might be a fifth. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, you're correct. No, okay, good. Uh, and that was interesting because you rotated it a mat. It didn't seem to, it seemed to be a set rotation. It didn't mean, it didn't seem to be based on performance. And, and so fans got really upset because they saw issues with the offensive line. You being away covering the rest of the NFL and then going to watch the game later away from the Raider Nation emotion of the day on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about what you saw when you watched the game about this offensive lineman, offensive line and what you think of how that rotation worked out. Well, I'll start off this way and – Jeremy Fowler said before Ross Cuts that the Raiders weren't settled on the right side of their offensive line. And our guy Hayden out there in Australia, I believe, said yeah, that that's, that's unnerving to him because the Raiders basically had four preseason games to figure it out at those two positions, 
and it's, and it's week one against Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, and they still didn't have it figured out. And I agree with him that that's a little concerning that you had a, you had the whole summer, you had the spring and the summer to basically have a clear-cut start at those positions that you knew were question marks coming in, especially with Denzel Good retiring. And you still are tinkering with your combinations there. Now, I will say that the combination wasn't, and in totality, it wasn't terrible. When I looked at the game, I rewatched it. It wasn't like they were always they were turnstiles out there. No, now it could it could, it could have been a lot worse. But I would like to see five guys build a chemistry together because that's all about putting the best five guys on the field, right? We didn't say Absolutely. yeah, put the best put the best seven guys on the field. It's about putting the best five guys on the field. So what Correct. the Rams are telling you is they don't have the best five guys yet. And that's and that's the concerning part about this. Now, my my forward looking idea of this is they want Mumford and Parham to be the guys because those are the two guys that they drafted. I know they re-signed Jermaine Illuminar, but he's you know 27 years old. He's had some opportunities in his past, didn't take advantage of those opportunities. Lester Cotton has been on and off the practice squad, had a strong start to the to the uh, offseason program, kind of tailed off in the preseason with, with a couple of questionable or bad performances. But from the looks, it seems like they want Mumford to be the guy at right tackle, and they want Parham to be the guy at right guard. Now, I predicted on Sportsnet on my 50-minute uh, projection that Parham would start at right guard because he's the better option. He's the superior option over Lester Cotton. Now, Lester Cotton did get some snaps and played well, as did Illuminar. But I think what the Raiders are thinking as far as Josh McDaniels and, and Carmen Basillo is that get the rookies in there to get their feet wet and eventually they'll take over those starting positions, but they're not going to put them out there full-time yet because they ha- they don't have the reps, they don't have the snaps, they don't have the experience yet to play against guys like Bosa and Mack and, and, and Sebastian Joseph Day on the inside. So mix it up, get the rookie some time, but also have your veterans as insurance policies. But again, it's just not the smoothest operation because you're playing a, a seven-man rotation. Again, it's all about the best five men, and Raiders don't have the best five men yet on their offensive line. And that's why my rant is now beginning. Because here's the deal. I don't disagree with not destroying... You don't want to destroy a rookie's confidence. So I agree with you on Parham being that right guard long term. I think he's a good player. I think they they kind of stole him in the draft. I think he's going to be really good there. And it's going to take some time. So I get that and understand it. But to me, what Josh McDaniel said on Sunday, and then he repeated it on Monday... He said, all those guys deserve time, basically, is what he said. He does, they deserve a chance. Last time I checked, this is the regular season. Isn't your chance during the preseason to earn your spot? And then if you don't earn the spot, that's cool. Or if you don't have the guy, if you don't have two guys that you're set on, then you got to go find somebody, okay? And I'm not just going to say, hey, go sign some guy off the street down on Las Vegas Boulevard. I'm not saying that. But to me... <laughs> When you are the head coach and you say that they all deserve a shot, this, this it's a meritocracy, man. You got to win the position. And if you win the position, you got it. If you don't win the position and you have four guys that don't win the position outright, then you got you to gotta do something. And so I'm concerned long term that, number one, if I'm Derek Carr, and, and he'll always say the right thing, but if I'm Derek Carr, Mo. 
The last thing I want is is a revolving door on my line. You you also, to your point about the unit playing cohesively, the quarterback also needs to feel good and get to know the the habits and the tells of his players so he knows and the communication with those guys. And I know he gets along with all of them and he plays in practice with all of them. But in game action, to me, not having a cohesive unit when you can, okay, with, meaning you don't have injuries, that to me is you're playing with fire. And I don't buy – it's the first time I think he's full of crap when he says that. And, and maybe they don't feel good about anybody on the market, so they're just rolling with what they have. And, and I know you can't come out and just say, hey, look, we don't have the guys. I get it. You have to be diplomatic. But to me, I think fans are listening to that and saying, well, wait a minute. You don't think there's anything wrong with the offensive line and it can get better? I mean, this is and this is why fans have been screaming for the Raiders to sign an offensive lineman. And to your point, if none of those guys outright won the job, then you have to make a move. Right. Sign someone who could possibly do better or trade for, or try to trade for, or acquire someone from another team who can do a better job because it's alarming when none of the guys that were vying for those positions outright won the job. But I will say it's not a coincidence, and I made note of this. The two guys who have false starts on that offensive line, Thayer Mumford and Jermaine Illuminar, I don't think that's a coincidence because they were rotating in and out. And to your point about the quarterback having to feel comfortable with the offensive lineman, it goes both ways. Your quarterback's going to be yelling out calls and he has his cadence. And because you're yes. rotating guys, they may not be used to certain calls at the line of scrimmage. So that could lead to errors such as false starts. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's a coincidence. But to me, I, what I hope is not the case, even though this is my concern and my concern has been the offensive line, as many fans have also agreed with me on this. I just hope that the coaching staff is not being stubborn and saying, we know what's going to work. We're going to stick with our guys. We're not going to go out because we're going to roll with our, our what we have. I, I just hope it's just not stubbornness that gets in the way of them possibly picking up a guy, a free agent, or acquiring another player from another team and improving that line. Because if your offensive line has problems throughout the season, you're going to cause your offense to not perform at an optimal level because you're going to have guys out of place, false start, this and this and that, holdings. All types of things can happen when you don't have a set five-man lineup in the trenches. Right, and and it affects the other guys on the other side. It affects the center. Of course, we also heard the troubling news, Andre James, after the game, in an ambulance with a concussion, right? So so we don't know what his status. He was not on uh, today's injury report uh, and we don't have another report from from the Raiders yet as of early Tuesday morning, but um, that's concerning. So you might have to move Parham to center, and then you got all sort of things going on. So, so to me, the 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 left side of the line, knowing the right side, those guys work together. Clearly, they're a cohesive unit. They have to be. And your point about the cadence is so important because, as a young player, if I'm Dylan Parham and I'm, I'm out there uh, and Mumford. I need to know what my quarterback does. I need to know his habits. I need right. to know what he does when he checks out of a play and audibles at the line, what that sounds like, uh, what indications he gives us. Now, they practice it, but again, real-time real time game stress is a whole different game. So that, to me, is the big concern. And again, I've been very complimentary of Josh McDaniels, and he deserves it. But this is the one thing that concerns me, and that is the stubbornness you mentioned, because that was his problem, self-admitted, when he was a younger co- uh, coach in Denver. So you hope that that doesn't rear its head here, 
and that they do something. Now, maybe they go into week two, they know the Cardinals are, you know, kind of an iffy team. Maybe they're thinking, hey, we can see how we do one more game. But again, every week you put it off, someone else is going to have a need, as we saw the injuries that occurred in week one. And suddenly you might be out of options and then you're stuck. So hopefully they can do it. Mo, let me, as we conclude the, the discussion on the line, uh, I mentioned Colton Miller early struggling at times in this game with Bosa there. Uh, what did you see from him? Anything that is concerning at all, or was it just just a tough matchup? I think it's just a tough matchup. I'm not concerned about Colton Miller overall, but I mentioned this in my Sports Star article. He hasn't played well recently against the Chargers. He he struggled in that Week 18 game, and a lot of people don't want to talk about that because Colton is the best offensive lineman on the Raiders line. But he has struggled against the Chargers, and I can't fault him for that. He's going to be against Joey Bosa, and and, and Sunday going up against Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, who both can switch sides and not glued to one side of the of the defensive line. So he he also struggled. But I, I thought again the offensive line. I didn't expect the Raiders' offensive line to play well out of the gate against the Chargers because they have two top tier pass rushers. I, I thought that would be the reason. The Raiders didn't win the game. That's why I picked against them. A lot of people didn't like that. But lo and behold, Khalil Mack seals the victory for the Chargers with that sack. What I find interesting, though, and I want to make note of this, Derek Carr, and I, and I said this on Twitter on Monday that I'm not concerned with Derek Carr because this was an anomaly game for him. He doesn't usually yeah. throw this many picks. Usually he's able to step into his throws. He has a good arm. He doesn't have a noodle arm. He's not out there. He's not Alex Smith in it. No offense to Alex Smith. Um, but... I find it interesting that it seems like when Derek Carr gets touched in the pocket, the ball just comes squirting out. It's I don't know incredible. what that is. It, it's, incredible. It's, it's incredible to me that as soon as a, a defensive lineman lays a finger on him, and I understand these guys are bigger than him. They're three, 250 to 300 pounders, and they got a lot of you know strength, and they can bull rush and knock the ball out, and they're looking to strip the ball. But it seems like as soon as Derek Carr is touched, that ball just comes floating out. And that and that worries me every time the the pocket crumbles and he gets a little pressure on him. Yeah, and 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 the media has talked openly with him about his fumble issues, and it's not good when you fumble it twice. Now again, he was under heavy pressure, but mm-hmm. last year he seemed to get better at it. He seemed to protect the ball a little better at times, uh, and and feel the pressure. Yesterday didn't seem like he felt the pressure well at all. Which reminds me of one last thing, and we're going to get into Josh McDaniels now as well. Is McDaniels also said the question was asked about Derek Carr being moving more in the pocket because, again, Derek Carr was kind of a statue uh, against the Chargers. He did not move at all. And um, so they asked about that with that line and the uncertainty with the line. And McDaniels said, we don't want Derek to run. Okay, and my thought was, well, (laughs) sure, maybe not set plays to run the ball, but don't you in the modern NFL have to have a quarterback who can move? And I thought he did a better job of it last year, frankly, moving in the pocket and creating plays. Uh, and especially when you have an offensive line that's completely unsettled on the right side, how can, not, how can you not have your quarterback move? So that, to me, was a little bit of a contradictory statement. If I was at that presser, I would have asked a follow-up question because there's a difference between wanting Derek Carr to run and wanting him being able, wanting him to be mobile in the pocket and able to evade pressure. Good point. Now we're not a, we're not asking Derek Carr to be Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray out there. We're not asking him to run twenty yards downfield and take off with the football. What I think fans and even myself are asking is that Derek Carr needs to be able to evade pressure, sidestep, move his legs because 
he improved a little bit every year in that aspect under John Gruden. When John Gruden got there, as soon as John Gruden got there in 2018, you start to see Derek Carr use his mobility because he's an athletic guy. Derek Carr is not a statue. He's not Tom no. Brady out there. No. And even Tom Brady, with his lack of mobility, you see him able to dart pressure and move in the pocket. He's not taking off for 20 yards. He's not a running quarterback. But he's able to evade pressure when he needs to. And I think it goes into having a feel for the pocket and understanding like instincts. Derek Carr doesn't have the natural instinct right. to evade pressure. So you have to kind of teach it to him. I think John Gruden, for all the criticism I've given John Gruden, that's one of the things that he helped Derek Carr in. Able to evade pressure in the pocket, use his legs and mobility and pick up a first down when he needed to. And you just didn't see that on Sunday. And as I said, if I was at that press, I'd be like, well, Josh, you know, coach, I understand he doesn't have to be Lamar Jackson. But when the pocket is crumbling around him, because he's not always going to have a perfect pocket, he has to be able to evade pressure and extend plays. It's called improvisation for a quarterback. That's why guys like Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson are all special. Not because they can run with the football. It's because they can extend plays with their legs and still look down the field and throw a dart down to their pass catchers or wide receivers or tight ends. Again, Derek Carr doesn't need to be an athletic freak. He just needs to be able to avoid pressure and give his receivers time downfield. Yeah, a la Rich Gannon who did that. He was not a uh, incredibly right. fast quarterback, but he did move those legs, man. When he had to get out of that right. pocket, he would extend it so that he could extend the play. Uh, all right, Mo, as we as we get close to the end of uh, this Tuesday edition of Silver and Black today, uh, Josh McDaniels, this first game, we've talked some some intricacies here about decisions and, and clearly his view of the offensive line. Um, but overall, you look at the game and what he did on the offensive side – we talked about Patrick Graham and the defense earlier, but when you look at the offensive play calling, uh, the game plan that they had against the Chargers, what's your take there? Overall, like I said, I'm, you know, you're bringing a new system. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, uh -oh. no, I, I'm not too, I'm not too worried about, again, I, and I picked the Chargers to win the game, but I felt like it was going to be close. It was going to be a one position. I expected to be a little closer, I feel like the Raiders missed out some opportunities. Again, I brought the interception to Devontae Adams where Derek Carr underthrew him uh, and it went back to the Chargers, but really not worried about their game plan or what, what they have set plan because I, I, I think they're going to bounce back, and I'm going to say this for like the fifth time. Derek Carr doesn't usually throw three interceptions in a game, so I don't think you're going to get another three interception game from Derek Carr this year, at least not in the next coming weeks. So I think the Raiders need to continue to do what they're doing, but I want to see more balance, as I said at the beginning of the show, more running the ball because it was working when they did it with Josh Jacobs. I want to see more Zamir White. I understand Brandon Bolden came over from New England with Josh McDaniels, but I, I just, I'm against running a 30-plus-year-old running back. You know, when your offensive line is a little questionable, get some juice out there with your young buck that you drafted in the fourth round to be that one-two punch with Josh Jacobs. And I think the Raiders will be fine. On the defensive side of the ball, I think, as I said at the beginning of the show, I think you're going to see more wrinkles. You'll see more blitzes because that's going to help Jonathan Abram, who I thought had a decent game. Of course, he's never going to be a coverage safety, but I thought staying in the line of scrimmage, and they, that's what they did even when Merrick went out. They had Deron Harmon back there mm -hmm. on the back end, and they didn't have Jonathan Abram playing 8, 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. So I think... Patrick Graham understands the strengths of his players. So, again, I, I I have faith that the Raiders will bounce back and their game plan will work out for the better against the Cardinals. 
Yeah, and I thought offensively the game the game plan was good. I think they did what they needed to do. They 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 had the sets they needed to do. They had personnel matchups that that benefited them. Uh, they just weren't able to execute at some key times, and I think that'll rectify itself against Arizona this coming Sunday. Speaking of Arizona, we will talk about them on Thursday's show. We'll break that down. We'll talk about the confidence level heading in to uh, that game and overall for this team early that looked a little shaken at times, but certainly down the stretch, started to put it together a little bit, just came up short. Uh, And then also about spreading the ball around. What do they need to do? What kind of game plan? What kind of defense are they going up against with Cliff Klingsbury's club in, that was a lot of K's and C's together, uh, in Arizona, down in Glendale. So we'll talk, or excuse me, in Vegas, we'll talk about that as well on Thursday. Mo, before we get out of here, though, what an amazing week one of the NFL season. It's always a reminder, not just because we're so excited that there's football on all day, but what a crazy weekend. Of course, we saw the Bengals-Steelers game where nobody wanted to win for the longest time, couldn't hit, a, <laughs> couldn't hit an extra point or a field goal, and we saw late comebacks. We saw a tie in week one with Indy and Houston, a game I lost money on because I thought for sure Indy would win that game. Uh, a crazy week. What did you see, and what does that tell us about the NFL heading into 2022? Well, first of all, Scott, you should have you should have consulted me before you placed that bet. Because <laughs> Did you bet Houston? Did you pick Houston? I I, I picked Houston against oh, the line because I do, doing my research and putting out that article that's coming out that comes out every Thursday on Bleacher Report. By the way, yeah. I have a betting article against the spread. I wrote that if you if you laid money on the Colts, you should be nervous because they hadn't won an open, uh, week one game since 2013. Think about that. So it's almost been ten years since they won in week one. And two years, I remember two years ago, I remember they they lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Jaguars didn't win another game that year. So the Colts just have a problem with opening games and aging quarterbacks. But as far as the season is concerned, I, I think it's a sign that we're in for a lot of surprises. I don't think the surprises are going to be limited to week one. I think throughout the season, I believe we had a guest on. Uh, sorry, I forgot his name. But he said this, that with the extra week that you're going to see a lot of you know, upsets where teams mm-hmm. maybe not take a week off, but they're just not dialed in and focused for one particular week. You don't know when that week is going to happen. And you'll get a, a team upsetting, like a, a Houston Texans upsetting maybe the Buffalo Bills. I'm just using that as an example. But you're going to get a lot of those upset games along the way with with an extra game. But I think with the wide receiver play, too, you saw a lot of wide receivers putting up big numbers. Huge. Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown setting a franchise record with the Eagles. Uh, Jahan Dotson, I know he didn't put up big numbers, but he's coming along well. Had two touchdowns against the Jaguars, so he's going to be a playmaker for the Washington Commanders opposite Terry McLaurin. You see why the wide receiver market blew up this offseason because it's now a premium position. Absolutely, uh, and it's exciting, and it's what makes the NFL so great is that uh, teams can turn things around quickly, and uh, that's what I would say to Raider fans. The Raiders lose in Week 1, but Week 2 could be a completely different game and a different outcome so hang in there uh all right my partner i will talk to you on thursday as we talk cardinals and then we'll drop a mailbag show obviously this week too but thanks man get some rest i know it's been a tough couple days and then you got thursday night coming up so uh get ready for that and we'll talk to you on thursday yeah we won't talk fantasy football hopefully oh Uh, we will yes i i I, 
I gave you a pass on this show. I didn't want to talk about the fact that on Thursday you may be eating mint chip ice cream on this show, uh, but you'll see why later on. So we'll, we'll talk about that, though, as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I need a I'm due for a tooth cleaning. So this is uh, this works. This works out well for me. So you'll eat the ice cream and brush your teeth at the same time. That would actually be funny. I would love that. that would be a, that'll be a new uh, a GIF that people will use constantly. Mo brushes his teeth with ice cream. A- yes. Anything, any, anything to, to keep the fans engaged, right? <laughs> there you go. All right, man. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Mm-hmm. All right. For Mo Moten, uh, I am Scott Goldbranson. This has been Silver and Black Today. Make sure you subscribe. Pass it on to a friend, especially all of your friends in Raider Nation. We appreciate you being with us. And we will be back here on Thursday talking Raiders versus Cardinals and week two. All right. Now go out there. Be good to one another. And we will see you then. Bye-bye.